Welcome to our exchanges at Goldman Sachs Markets Update for Friday, September 11th. Each week, we check in with leaders across the firm to get a quick take on what they're watching in markets. I'm Jake Seward, Global Head of Corporate Communications here at the firm. And joining us today, we have Dominic Ashcroft and Luke Gillum from our investment banking division in London. Dominic is co-head of EMEA Leverage Capital Markets, which covers the sub-investment grade loan and bond products. And Luke is co-head of EMEA Leverage Capital Markets and co-chair of the Credit Markets Capital Committee. Welcome to the program, Dom and Luke. Thanks for having us, Jake. So your team's hosted the EMEA LevFin conference remotely, of course, earlier this week for clients. Coming out of that, how would you describe sentiment right now towards European non-investment grade credit markets and what's driving investors at the moment? Yeah, happy to, uh, happy to start off. So we had about 1,500 clients attend our virtual conference on Tuesday, and I think it was a great way to canter through some of the main topics yeah, that we think are relevant to both the broader markets, but also you know, specifically the sub-investment grade space today. I think this overall sentiment is probably best described as cautiously optimistic, which I think is underpinned by you know, a couple of factors that I was going to you know, go through. I think firstly, obviously, the huge mobilization of liquidity within the central banking system, you know, which from the beginning of the crisis has helped protect us against probably a more systemic you know, loss of confidence from the markets. And although the sub-investment grade market has probably only seen a small amount of this liquidity that has been predominantly directed to sort of fallen angels, you know, it's underpinned you know, the investment grade market and, and bank liquidity you know, generally, which I think has you know, helped the overall credit market. So I think that's the first reason. I think secondly, you know, the government support that we've seen coming into the economies has been pretty much unprecedented. You know, we've witnessed you know, large fiscal support channeled into economies. From a European perspective, that's probably been you know, primarily you know, focused on the labor markets, you know, so supporting you know, employment. And then you know, additionally, through some of the government guarantee schemes, those have been used to underpin balance sheets and provide liquidity you know, you know, to capital structures, which I think in absence of that, you know, we would have seen more restructuring and distressed you know, situations you know, sort of come through. And so that's helped your know, companies directly, but I think it's also helped your know, sentiment you know, within the market. I think thirdly, and more on the micro, so corporate level, I think firms have been you know, really quick to react and cut costs and reorganize, change their supply chains, and so make themselves you know, more efficient. And hopefully, I think this is one of the things that investors are hoping that when the economy starts to recover, you obviously companies are in leaner and better shape to then recover. And I think lastly, the market you know, itself, we came into the crisis with actually a relatively you know, limited amount of you know, underwritten deals on balance sheets with the banks. Most of that balance sheet exposure has now been orderly placed in the market. And so you know, most of the investor community is looking at the forward pipeline of deals and not seeing a huge amount of supply. And as, we, as we've seen in financial markets, when supply is limited and we continue to see demand, that's normally a good condition you know, for favorable you know, market conditions. And I, I think that's what we've seen to date. And that's certainly what we and, and I think many of the participants at the conference anticipate the market continuing to look like in, in September and into, uh, into the end of the year. So, Dom, thanks for that. Luke, the strength of the credit markets and, and the speed of the recovery has been pretty astounding across the board. But is it similar across the different European markets? And are there any notable differences with the UK and Brexit looming? Just give us a sense of the landscape across Europe. So thanks, Jake. We see these strong market conditions as broad-based across European markets. So we don't see material differentiation across countries within the EU. And I think it's probably fair to say that there's not a huge amount of differentiation between 
the sterling in the euro market. Or to put it another way, it's a pretty broad-based recovery and market conditions for issuers are constructive pretty much across the piece. So if we look within the EU, historically there's been concerns about core countries versus peripheral countries and peripheral countries have seen a significant risk premium. I would say that that is not top of the agenda. You can see that a little bit between the differential between bonds and, and BTPs, which is still about 150 basis points, but has been coming down during the year. I would say investors are much more focused about credit rather than the country of operations and the impact that in particular COVID is having on credit. And that's really the focus. Now, it's also worth saying that investors across markets you know, have been pretty open-minded in supporting companies you know, through the crisis who had significant operational issues relating to COVID. If I look at the differences between sterling and euro, again, I sort of reiterate that both markets are strong and both markets are attractive to issuers. There are some nuances here. So I think it's fair to say that sterling spreads are overall slightly higher than euro spreads. There's a pretty good example of this. So we've just been in the market as a book runner on a transaction for Virgin Media. It's a large deal. It's £5.7 billion. Pounds. It's related to their merger with O2. And it's interesting because they've accessed all three markets. So euros, sterling and dollars all together and you compare the two. And I think what it shows you is that sterling spread, certainly for Virgin Media, are kind of 25 to 37 and a half basis points wider than euro spreads. So what's driving that premium? You could argue it's Brexit. I'd also argue that sterling market just being a, a little bit of a smaller and less liquid market and spreads have always been slightly higher. I think you can also actually conclude the reverse on Brexit, which is despite the looming issues related to Brexit, there isn't a significant observable Brexit risk premium in the sterling market. And the sterling market has been functioning pretty well. And sterling market's been supporting companies impacted by COVID. So good example of this is this week, we saw Centreparks issue, Centreparks being a leisure park business which is impacted by COVID issue at 6.5%. We generally observed that transaction going well. We brought a transaction pre-summer for a company called Stonegate, which is the UK's largest pub estate. And obviously pubs have their challenges in the sterling market uh, supporting that transaction in good size. So I think in conclusion, not a huge amount of difference, but there are certainly nuances between, between the markets. How does the European credit environment compare to what we're seeing in the US? Talk about the relative value between geographies and how investors are thinking about that. So my answer to US versus Europe is a little bit similar to the first question, which is both markets have recovered very well in this crisis. Both markets are looking very technically strong at the moment. But there again is a little bit of nuance between the two. So double B euro spreads are slightly closer than double B US spreads. And it's actually the inverse as you go down the credit spectrum. So single B US spreads are tighter than uh, single B euro spreads. So at the higher end of the credit spectrum, Europe seems to be outperforming a little bit. At the lower end of the spectrum, US seems to be outperforming a little bit. There's a lot of reasons for that. I think the sort of simplest reason for the tighter double B euro spreads is the impact of the ECB. The ECB has been buying significant percentage of new issue in investment grade. And what that's done is it's sort of crowded the, a lot of investment grade buyers down into that 
better quality spectrum in sub-investment grade to into double B. And we see that in our new issue. We did a new issue a couple of weeks ago for double B European issue. We estimated something like 70% of the book was investment grade buyers. So that's one simple explanation. If you look at the sub-investment grade loan markets, again, I would say that both of those markets have recovered relatively in unison. I would say that we're starting to see what I might call more aggressive activity coming out of the US, which is certainly a sign of US market strength versus the US. So we're starting to see financial sponsors doing dividend recapitalizations, which have been pretty much off the table during the early part of the crisis. And we haven't seen that sort of activity in Europe so far. And I'm not expecting a huge wave of that in the short term, possibly a little bit further out. So we have seen a little bit more aggressive activity in the US. And it's also fair to say that the US is a much bigger overall credit market. And so you do see more diversity of activity and Europe's been a little bit slower to get going post the holiday. So we hardly go through an entire podcast without talking about ESG. So Dominic, how has the pandemic changed or not changed the demand for more sophisticated ESG product and investment opportunities? What's the outlook over the medium term? So it's, it's very topical and it remains uh, you know, pretty topical. So it's a huge focus of Goldman's uh, and I think it you know, continues to be a, a huge focus of the, you know, the market. Um, you know, I think it was clear, we had a couple of panels at the conference that ESG you know, is not something that's going away. And I think you know, the broader market you know, is very focused on it. And I think he's grappling you know, with how it can affect some, some cultural change to the market in terms of trying to change the way people consider you know, environmental, social and, and sort of governance uh, you know, issues. I think part of that change is driven by the regulatory landscape, you know, particularly from a European perspective. And that's probably most seen on the EU ESG, i.e. looking at environmental issues. So the taxonomy that the EU has been brought in, Obviously, there's a Paris climate accord that people are you know, starting to you know, gear up for that will you know, start to probably come in 2021 in terms of the targets. But I think also on the social and governance theme, you know, they're also sort of top of mind. I think the areas that we've been trying to focus on from a practical perspective is helping market participants at least get information you know, from corporates and issuers that we're bringing to market. So at least they can make you know, our judgment you know, on the ESG-related factors. Um, so I have the pleasure of being chair of the High Yield Association you know, board from a European perspective. You know, we brought out a diligence list, a questionnaire list a little bit early on this year, a little bit delayed by the pandemic in terms of you know, just coordinating and getting a bit of focus items on it. But that came out in, in July. The Investor Association, which is Alpha, which is a representation of a lot of the leverage finance you know, investors that operate in the market, has also come out with a questionnaire that they're really trying to focus issuers on you know, providing additional disclosure. And I think although the, you know, the sort of baby steps that we're taking, uh, I think ultimately we're on a journey here you know, to become more transparent and you know, be able to empower you know, both issuers and investors to be able to assess you know, marketing companies and how they're doing from an ESG perspective. Luke, Dom, thanks for joining us today. That's all for this week's Markets Update on Exchange to Goldman Sachs. And in case you missed it, check out Our other episode this week, where Stephanie Cohen, our chief strategy officer, was joined by three CEOs from Launch with GS. That's our entrepreneur program. They talk about the journeys that different founders have taken and what it's been like to lead their companies through the pandemic. Thanks for listening and hope everyone has a great weekend. This podcast was recorded on Friday, September 11th in the year 2020. Thank you very much for listening. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording.
This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.